Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. We're thrilled to have Pejman Babayi here to talk about games user research and how to really turn uh, research insights into strong design decisions. Uh, you've written a couple of books on the subject, one coming out soon and one already published, The Game Designer's Playbook, as well as Games User Research. Uh, so we're thrilled to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, my pleasure to be here. Uh, I've been listening to your podcast and I'm a fan and I'm happy to have the chance to contribute. I hope the listeners would enjoy this, this talk. I'm sure that they will. Uh, we've got JH here too. Yeah, anyone who's worked with me uh, has probably seen me share an article called Making Good Decisions as a Product Manager by uh, Brandon Chu. So I'm I'm very into decision making, and uh, so I like this theme already. So I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I've seen you guys ask really difficult questions. <laughs> trying to go for hardballs, but uh, maybe maybe inadvertently. <laughs> what is the meaning of life? Uh, you know, gets gets a little deep sometimes. Uh, well, thanks again for being here. Why don't we just start with uh, hearing a little bit about your background, because I know you have some extensive experience with games user research and uh, written a couple of books and everything. So tell us a little bit about you. Sure. So I did my undergrad in uh, computer engineering, so nothing to do with UX. I work as a network administrator for a year, and I found it very boring. Uh, so I decided to do a master's in, uh, in commerce and, and UX. Uh, after that, I worked in web UX for, for a year and then decided to do a PhD uh, focusing on UX and games. Uh, I think my thesis was probably one of the first one on the topic of formative evaluation uh, of games. So doing research with the intent to improve, uh, you know, products that are still on development versus, you know, loads of past research uh, that, you know, try to like prove a hypothesis, for example, is playing with a friend would get you more enjoyment than playing alone. Uh, so my focus was improving product, and I think that was uh, that was kind of one of the first one uh, as a PhD thesis on, on, on that topic. I worked uh, as a games researcher. I started at a startup in the UK called Vertical Slice, and later on uh, Player Research, uh, which was bought by uh, by Keywords Studio a couple of years ago. Uh, and then in 2013, I was offered a, a professor, like a research professor position in Canada. So I moved from the UK to here. Uh, and I've been like a university professor, but I do most of my work in uh, in, in, in collaboration with game companies or, or other, other basically, uh, other products. I, I worked as a UX research director for a company called Execution Lab for two years, from 2015 to 2017. And then since 2018, I have my own kind of a consulting firm that I work with many uh, clients on doing UX. But... I think of myself as a UX researcher who kind of like to do a bit of design. And I talk to many people who are designers or producer, and then they say they do research as well. So I'm kind of the opposite. I'm a researcher that do a bit of design. So that's that's where I see my myself uh, situating at the moment. Very nice, very nice. And how long did it take you to get from, from that beginning where uh, you were a developer and uh, bored and looking for more to where you are now? So, so it's probably 15, 15 years, 20 years, but it's life, you know, things happen. And uh, sometimes at the, at, when it happens, you don't really know what gonna, what it's going to bring you uh, in the future. But, uh, but it turns out to be good. I'm really enjoying what I do these days. So. 
Yeah, I heard somewhere the other day, it's like whoever's having the most fun's winning. I think, you know, someone came up with that a long time ago, but um, I like that. And I, I think uh, if you're not having a fun time doing what you're doing, what's better than games user research, right? Uh, so, so I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> since you have, you know, familiarity with both the, you know, research side and the design side, how do you think about like, what is a, dis you know, design decision or like an actionable decision that can come out of research is um you know, it's easy to imagine lots of decisions or lots of ideas coming out of research like what makes a good directed actionable one in your opinion mm, so the way i think about so sometimes when i talk to people they they think about the decision aspect of the research when it comes to reporting the research to me like having that goal in mind from the very beginning, like how you're going to report this uh, in terms of making making or supporting the decisions that uh, that will be made easier. That obviously influences everything you do from the study design to conducting the research. And then obviously in terms of reporting the the, the, the result of your research. The, the way I like to think of it is like how that research will be used, basically what sort of decision uh, that would uh, people would make. And then so Maybe if I want to categorize them, there might be three categories. So sometimes I work with designers or producers that are looking for like ideation. So they uh, they have something in mind, but maybe it's not their focus or they had experience in that topic. So they want to talk to some users uh, just to get some new ideas from those users. So uh, I call them maybe like more exploratory ideation phase. Uh, sometimes the designers have uh, two or three or four alternative design. And they're looking for some form of a like research to help them select which alternative makes the most sense and they should go for it. And then sometimes they already have a very strong design intent and already developed that uh, into a you know close to finished product prototype. And then they want to assess that. So they already know their design intent, they already know what they're designing. Uh, they come to do research to see if the users experience the design intent in the same way that they designed for. Uh, so having those, like I guess, quite broad categories in mind, obviously help us to uh, when we design our research and when we how we support the designers to make those decisions. So it's if if it's in ideation, I usually try to have designers involved. They would come to the session, they would watch, they may even interrupt, ask question, and there is no like a strong uh, let's say validity in terms of like proving anything. It just even if one person says something and the designer liked it, that's a useful outcome and the designer may build on that and, and make some decision. Versus if you are trying maybe to prove or, you know, assess between two or three alternatives, then you want a different set of, you know, methods. You probably want like a larger audience, larger users. And then in your report, you need to probably clearly say this, this alternative works best and here are the reason and how you can maybe improve it more. So having that decision that you're going to make from the beginning of your research process, super helpful in terms of the methods and how to conduct the research and things like that. So that would be my take. Just to play that back a little, it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, you want to go into research knowing what sort of decision you're trying to make. And you also want to know what sort of category of research you're doing. And what you get from that is if you're doing something like really specific and evaluative, like a usability test across a couple of concepts, whatever, you know, you're probably making a pretty specific decision like this or that. Whereas if you're doing something more generative or open-ended and ideation kind of, you're saying it's okay to be, the decision might be a little fluffier or broader 
but you know that and it still can be actioned. Is that kind of what you're going to? Exactly, exactly. And then the reporting of that may, may be a bit different. So if you are doing that ideation, you may run a workshop and then you bring all the like, team members in and everyone going to ideate on, you know, something that maybe one or two users said. But if you are trying to like validate or assess between alternatives, then you probably have some, uh, you know, measures that you are measuring against and you are looking for some somehow light significance comparing different different you know prototype or different uh, as i said alternatives and make decision on that basis and your reporting would be very different in, in those cases Pajman, I, I know we're inspired uh, by this topic because you're writing a book on this topic so i just wanted to back back up and uh, ask why you wanted to write this book <laughs> so yeah that, that's uh interesting so again uh that's as a, as i do a stuff that i do uh, over time uh, th this book is very personal to me. It's, it's actually it's, it's done, so it was published few few months ago uh, at this stage. So uh, it, it was a very personal book, and I decided to write that. I would say maybe for uh, for two key reasons. Uh, one was uh, I felt that you know I, I did that book called Games User Research that focused slowly on doing user research and methods for doing user research, particularly for games. Uh, and that came out in 2018. We started that in 2015 and came out in uh, in 2018. After my work with Execution Lab, uh, I learned that my my view of doing research changed a little bit. Uh, and then I thought helping developers to build better games or better product, uh, there are other ways to do that than just doing research. Uh, so there might be an easier and faster way to help them than doing like a primary type re research with, with real users. Uh, so that was that was what motivated me to work on the game designers playbook because as we do research on products and games, we learn about what makes a good design. And I thought I can just combine them as some form of a recipe of good design and put them in one book uh, from everything I learned from doing research on different different games. So it's uh, it's basically a combination of design feature that work in existing game. Uh, so the book talks about them and talks about why that design works on that game from the UX uh, perspective. And hopefully that might be an easier way for people to assess their, their work or think about their game design than just jumping in and doing research. And that's one of the downsides that I've seen many companies when they have a question or a decision they want to make, they immediately think of let's go and like do a user research, let's inter interview 50 people. And uh, usually my job is say, hey, there are other ways to get the answer to your question than just doing a user research because doing a user research is expensive and it's uh, it, it could be quite time consuming and hard. I think that's great and it's super timely for right now. So we've done a couple episodes on, like we did one on, you know, when to not do user research, right? And of course, uh, being the company that we are that supports recruiting for, for research um, and being advocates for research, we like research. But I think, you know, it doesn't help anyone to do research when research isn't additive or helpful, right? Um, particularly in this market. It's like really using research where it's needed and can be helpful to drive better decisions. And that's not every decision doesn't need research all the time. So and then my research, when I say user research, usually... I'm referring to bringing in like actual users, like from the target audience. But again, sometimes you may still talk to experts. So I actually use your product to interview some expert. 
because the question we had, I thought it's very complex and to put it in front of target users. So I thought I, if I just interview experts, they're going to tell me what I need to know, to know at that stage. So, uh, and that's, that's what I'm trying to like highlight in the book that don't immediately think about doing your usability test or your, you know, talking to target audience. There might be other ways, like you can look at products, you can maybe interview product owners, you can maybe interview experts and then try to get to the answer and support the decision you are making than just going to, you know, directly talking to like target users. So that's. So um, you're describing, you know, a situation where uh, you might not need research to make the decision. There might be other ways to get signal. There's probably the inverse, right? Of decisions are getting made that probably really do need research, but nobody's doing it. So it sounds like, you know, part of this in terms of making good actionable design decisions based on research is, is also knowing when it's needed. So like, any thoughts on how you like make sure you're interacting with stakeholders and, and like having that collaboration to determine do we need research here or not? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so usually what I've in, in the works that I've done, uh, <laughs> it's actually interesting because some as a, as a consultant, when I come in, someone felt that there need to be some external body <laughs> to come in and intervene uh, in, in what's going on. Uh, and so in most cases, there is, there is some friction that's happening inside the company and they, they, they needed some extra opinion to, to come in. Uh, so they, they contact me, I was like, hey, you know, can you come and can help us here? Uh, sometimes as you say, yes, there is, a, there is like a need of like user's input. But in some cases I've seen that, uh, there is a lack, for example, lack of communication in terms of what's the vision of different team members. And that's sometimes the biggest challenge. Uh, so uh, back to your question, John, I think uh, before like doing research, one step might be doing some form of the UX research for your company or for the company, and then see if everyone on board, uh, if everyone shared the same vision for a product that they are making. And, and that's usually a common problem that I see, like lack of communication between team members, lack of, you know, shared vision, like the, the CEO may want a product and thinks about something, and then the engineering are thinking about, uh, or, or, you know, building different product. Uh, obviously, user research or usability can help in those cases, like you bring in and say, hey, by the way, what you created, this is how your user actually react to it. And then that facilitate or kind of bring those disconnects internally, uh, highlight them. Arguably, there could be also other ways to figure out those. Uh, I think you had a session on, on, on coaching and, and talking about that. And I think that was super, super interesting because it's a lot of time it's about how people perceive what's going on and how they want to like push their vision forward and things like that. Yeah. Honestly, it's been one of my biggest learnings doing all of these episodes is that so much of the research you do is internal and internal stakeholder management and really figuring out what are the real questions, what are the real assumptions, that's, you know, at least half of the job. Yeah, so I would spend time, especially as external researcher that I come in usually, I would try to spend as much as possible understanding the product and the vision behind that. In game industry, it's very common for games to have a document called design document. I haven't seen them much in like productivity or web apps, like 
but in games, like usually they try to explain every like features clearly and what sort of impact they ex- expect. And those are very ho- helpful for like people like me as external researcher, because I read that as like, okay, is this your, not now I know what's your intent. Let's try to evaluate that intent. And that's something that I haven't seen many like app companies or, or product, like productivity softwares do, do, do very often. How do you uh, think about the fact that like the person doing the research is probably often not the person making the decision, you know, from the insights. And so how do you make sure that, you know, you're doing this good research and you're coming up with insights that are guided at making decisions, but then somebody else has to make them. Like, how do you make sure there's good alignment there and a good partnership there? Yeah. I mean, so I think one, one focus we wanted to have was, was talking about like actionable you know how do we make those those decision action and i think that's what your question uh, tried to like uh, address uh, so you know one side is obviously understanding the company understanding the question understanding the product but then uh, when we kind of get closer to doing the research uh, there are i would probably categorize them into four things that i try to pay attention to so one thing is one that that focus both in terms of knowing what you want to evaluate and reporting the evaluation need to be specific enough. Usually the danger is you go to some, you know, talk to some companies and they're like, just tell me if my product is good. So that's actually quite a difficult thing to do without knowing what a specific thing they want to have, what's your key, key research question. And then when it comes to reporting, if I do a work and then I just say that, hey, like this game, this level is not good, it's, it's very hard to do, to act on it because it's not very specific. But if I say, this level is not good because in previous level, you didn't teach this mechanic correctly and you want the players to use them in this level. So I give them very specific issue to, to deal with. Uh, so that's around a specificity that makes things actionable. The other one that I've seen, uh, especially when I work with some of the like junior researcher, it's around uh, maybe like a timely, uh, the, t- the time, I would say like timely of the, both the research and what you need to do to 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 basically meet the need to make it actionable. So uh, sometimes one of the key questions I have when I talk to people is to understand their development cycle and process and where they are. For example, when is the, your sprint cycle? Where is your next sprint? Where we can actually, you know, implement some of the changes? Because if I miss that, uh, like the sprint that they had to work on their UI and my research takes, I don't know, two weeks to complete and I missed that sprint, then immediately it's not actionable or it needs to wait for like another month for a UI sprint to happen again. So not knowing that time. Uh, and then the cost, obviously, like if I go in and say, hey, I'm going to do this and it's going to cost too much. Uh, so is there a ROI based on the research and the quest, the, the basically an issue that it wants to solve? And my favorite one, what I call it under like a motivational, and that's something usually people don't pay attention to. Uh, a very great article I read a couple of years ago. It's talking about uh, plausibility and persu- persuasiveness of UX like research. And, and I thought that was super, super interesting. So how can you make your, like do the stakeholder uh, trust or believe in your, in your work? Uh, and then can you, can you report or the way you do it, can they, can it convince them to make changes? And I think those are very, very important. Like, I've seen some companies or some like some some research project that you know you just do the research, send the report, and it's not exciting to read. Like it's uh, no one gonna read like a hundred page text. <laughs> and so, how can we make this make 
you know, a stakeholder motivated to take action. I think that's it. That's also really key. Yeah. And, and there's two parts to that, right? There's like, are you selling it? Which gets into some of the other things you were saying, like, is it timely? Is, you know, have you proven the ROI? Were you specific? Did you give context? You know, are you selling it? But also I imagine there's an element of, did you do the work to understand your stakeholders and what will motivate them? Like, right? Like we all want to be objective, but we all also have our passion projects or areas we're really excited to improve or, you know, whatever emotional stuff is there. Can you tap into those biases, emotions? I have an interesting story to tell. I don't know if we have, we have time for it, but I, a couple of years ago, I was brought into a project by a publisher. Again, gaming board, usually you have a company who developed the game and then you have a publisher who published the game and, and usually fund the project. So publisher contacted me that they, they have this game and they feel that it's not good enough, uh, but the, develop, the developer, different company who developed the game is not receptive to any of their feedback. So they think that their game is great. And then they br brought me and said, like, can, you, can you evaluate this game? Uh, let us know uh, what, what you think. Uh, so I worked on a game, I wrote my report, uh, and then we decided to do an in-person presentation. Uh, and the publisher, we, we, we kind of booked the meeting with the developers in their office. And the publisher asked to meet me in a cafe nearby before we go in. So, so we went there and then uh, and she was like, oh, just wanted to let you know, we don't have a very good relationship. So, uh, you know, if they were very harsh or dismissed like your feedback, like, you know, have that in mind. So don't get upset, basically. <laughs> And I was like, okay, don't worry. Like, I, I, I got this. And, uh, and I knew that relationship based on the conversation that I had in the past. So in my presentation, usually, you know, when you have a presentation, you uh, start with like high level stuff, your research question or, you know, key finding and things like that. But my first two slides was just about myself. Like, I was like, okay, here is who am I? Because I'm just this random, I'm not just this random guy come to your company. Here are like, 30, 40 games that I evaluated out of these 40 games, like 10 of them, very similar to what you are creating. So I spent like two slides to just talk about, let's say my credibility of doing the work on their game. Uh, and then obviously like the, I tried to make, uh, you know, the, re the presentation interesting. I had lots of support by like having videos, having quotes from the players. Like, I don't know, prioritize the findings, like all the usual stuff that you want to see in user research report was, was there. But those two slides that I thought it's kind of unusual to spend like the first five, 10 minutes just to make sure that the company CEO understand that you like trust you of the work that you've done. And it was so cool because as soon as the presentation finished, this, the company owner came to me and he was like, oh, we have two other games with different publisher. Can you evaluate them as well? And that was such a like uh, validation for me that that he kind of took that and and obviously like they, they made some changes to the game and things like that but it was a very memorable kind of work for me that that how it ended at the end like i got few other contracts out of out of that relationship yeah yeah there's so much interpersonal stuff in all of this that you know making sure that it's perceived in the right way and people are ready to hear it and consider it is, is so important is um a question i was thinking about is when you are really decision centric in how you're approaching your research, can that ever like backfire or have ill effects where, you know, you do research and it's actually quite inconclusive. Like there's not an obvious thing to do here. Does it almost create like pressure to be like, well, we got to make a call. Like we want to, we want to be actionable and we want to make this decision. 
And so like, we can't really tell from these insights, but we're just going to go with this. So that it looks like we're moving forward. Like, are, is there any like of that backfiring that you've seen? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, the nature of research is, you know, it's usually something that you don't know a clear answer and you do some research. And in most cases, the outcome is let's do more research. <laughs> so, but it's not a bad thing to be like, to, to be in confidence. I mean, if you try to be a specific, usually you end up with like answer you want. But there are a couple of things that I want to differentiate. So uh, sometimes... In most cases, and I think that also came up in your uh, a couple of your previous guests mentioned that. So, as a as a researcher, as a decision makers, uh, we are trying to, especially if you are working on a cutting edge product, usually games games projects are, we are trying to make make a guess, and we are trying to make a I would say educated guess, and then the research, in most cases, won't tell us like oh dude only do this it's help you to make that educated guess with more education let's say so just uh you know as a as pe people who make decisions obviously there are a number of factors they, they they would consider in that and that research input could be one one factor so uh in, in that process so i would say even if it's not uh completely like conclusive it still probably provides some useful insight to the person who is making the decision who they can make a better guess at the end. So that, that's one thing to have in mind. The challenge, however, is sometimes I've seen loads of biases in research that could lead to, let's say, less accurate finding. And those are, I would say, that those could be a dangerous, uh, dangerous situation. I'm actually currently working on a product. It's, it's not a game. It's a, it's a variable sensor. It kind of goes to your body. It's, it's crazy. But... Um, there is a. They sent me a report from from a study that was conducted, and uh, there were elements that I saw came up in loads of interview. Like participants commented on that as something that is problematic, but the the report that they sent me didn't talk about that problematic feature. And the reason they didn't talk about it because no one asked. Like it was a questionnaire. It was a survey based. So there were no survey question to say. Hey, we are thinking of doing this. So, you know, somehow give us some feedback. So the absence of that feature in the survey meant that the report didn't highlight that problematic issue and it went to all like the decision makers. And I was like, I had to send an email like, hey guys, can you like just pay attention here? This is a problematic thing. The reason it absence from this report is no one included that, that question in the survey. So those are like, when you, if we talk about like in, inconclusive, research, I just want to differentiate that from, uh, you know, biased research uh, that that could be quite dangerous uh, when you are making making decisions. There are obviously so many things that can bias our data. One would be like, you know, not asking about important stuff. Right. Well, that reminds me of one of our old, old episodes, why surveys almost always suck with Erica Hall. But it seems like in that case, just asking the adding a question of what else, <laughs> you know, what, yeah. right. Could be, could be helpful there to open things up to yeah. things you didn't think to ask in the, in the survey. Yeah. 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 Exactly. yeah. Um, so there, we know there are lots of biases that, that come up and influence research negatively. Are there any other is other than all of them? Are there others that you see come up quite a bit? Oh, I have few favorites. I can tell you about, <laughs> about some of them. So, so like, Again, some of them, most most of them are from games or because they're kind of a little bit also different. But uh, one of my favorite stories, 
as 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 we know, we don't want to like emotionally bias our participants. When they like, if we start an interview, let's say, and tell them that hey, you know, I'm working in this amazing company. We have so many great games, and this is our new game, and we are so excited. So they are already emotionally biased towards that, uh, especially if you are from a big company and you have already loads of successful product or successful titles. Uh, so in, in one of the projects I had, so we went, we wanted to do some in-house testing and I tried to find the neutral space in the company. So it was a meeting room that wasn't part of the dev sitting area because in, in game companies, usually where the developers sit, there are loads of posters, there are loads of cool stuff that participants comes in and walk through the developer development area they get excited about you know a game or, or something like that so we found a meeting room that was the other side of the office uh, and then I, it was kind of neutral like a normal boardroom and I was like okay this is perfect we're gonna run our study here so the day of the study I came in uh, like two hours before we start and then I saw that the team has decorated that room so they they moved all their award. They moved all their posters into the room. I was like, what's going on, guys? Like, oh, we wanted the participants to know how great we are. You actually don't want them to know because you don't want to bias their, their opinion about your game or your company. So I made them to remove all their awards and all their posters from the meeting room. But that was, uh, that was just, again, one of those memorable moments that unintentionally, obviously, like they, uh, they thought that they need to like promote how good they are to the participants. Yeah, that's a good one. You don't hear about that one all the time. <laughs> don't, uh, don't market your, your company to the, the participants who are trying to get unbiased feedback from. That's a good one. Awesome. Uh, maybe we could drill a little more into some of these things you mentioned in terms of, you know, setting insights up for, for good decisions. Um, you talked, the first one you talked about was kind of, um, specificity and in, in context. Anything to add there? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I see like with, with specificity, there are two things that you want to kind of go deeper in there. Uh, so there are, when I try to report something, obviously you want to be a specific what the problem is that you are reporting. Uh, and there are, there could be a, again, I, I'm going to rely on like examples from my work to give you more context. So, Again, a developer came to me and then they were like, hey, uh, we have a problem because people are not paying, uh, you know, buying anything in our game. So kind of a monetization, like people were playing the game, but they were not spending money. Uh, so they came with that problem. And then uh, then the question would be, OK, what's going on? Like, is the game not motivating enough for people to spend money? Is the maybe the UI shop is not clear enough? Maybe the language that used uh, that used there is not clear. Maybe the people don't don't see like different icon you have for different item they want to buy. Maybe they don't see them as an exciting thing. So th there are multiple problems. So being a specific when reporting back to them to say, okay, the reason people don't buy stuff in your game was because the picture of you know those purchase purchasable item you had they didn't really communicate the value of that item and what they could do for the player. Uh, that could be one case. Another case, they had a problem because the purchase side only accept like a US dollar or something uh, where like people in other countries didn't weren't comfortable to spend like USD or whatever. So, so figuring out, being more specific on what exactly caused that problem, it's super important. Uh, and, and that could also help them to uh, to 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 act on it. So if you say that 
you know, the reason they didn't purchase is because those images you have didn't communicate the, the, the value, then that's a, like, that's a visual, uh, you know, designer's job to like come up with a new icon and then that could fix the issue. If it's a backend issue with your credit card thing, that's a, that, that's obviously a different thing. So that's why that specific, that being a specific is very important. And that links to the, to the solution that could solve that, uh, that problem. What, what about when, um, you know, the research and the insights you gather kind of make you realize that you need to make a difficult decision. So, you know, you were going down this path, you're designing this level or whatever, right. And, and you're hoping that it's pretty good and you're going to do some research on it and you find out actually it's pretty flawed. And the, the right thing to do now is to do like, you know, a big refactor, a big redesign, which is going to put the project at risk or timelines, right? Like, um, I'd imagine that's difficult for people to process and accept in situations. Um, but it's why you did the research. So. Have you um, have you seen people navigate that in certain ways? Yeah, yeah. I had one uh, one experience with that many years ago. Um, I was uh, I was back in the UK, so there were developers uh, came to us. They had this like really cool idea that uh, again, this is from two thousand maybe nine, and there might be games now with that that vision in mind. Like that, I, I don't know. But the, the idea was that uh, it was a music and then action kind of game. So you could only attack on the beats of the music. <laughs> so as you play, you couldn't like attack, you just wait for a beat and then you attack there. Or your attack would only cause damage when it's on a kind of sync with the music beats. Uh, so they had a prototype, they came to us uh, and then we did some work with them, run some research and then the outcome was no one get it. It's so complicated. Uh, no one like uh, th like they enjoy fighting, but they didn't even realize that you know they had to like do it based on those bits. Um, and obviously, again, that was one input, I guess, towards the for the developer. But at the end, they made a decision to cancel the project. Uh, and then we got a very nice email from the like from the project owner or the CEO of the company uh, saying that it helped him uh, to make that difficult decision and cancel the project and arguably saved him loads of time and money rather than going towards the full development. So that's kind of a rare type of case that you actually cancel, like they cancel the whole, whole project. But there are uh, there are also like a smaller, maybe, you know, things that you you tell them. For example, there were a, kind of a more recent one that I, I, I worked on. And after I did my work, I talked to the CEO and I said, look, the, the issue you have is not really with the, uh, like it's a deeper issue of your team not performing to the level that's expected than, uh, you know, something that I can help you with. So go fix your team before doing more research. Like that's like the, he already knew the issue. Uh, our research confirmed the issue. The team who's supposed to execute that just didn't have the skill set to, to do a better job. And that's a obviously hard decision, probably firing some people and like rehiring some people, but that was the outcome. Like, the, there is no technical level quality for the people who who reach the level that expected. So that's that was like the again our work kind of support usually again that educated guests like give them more evidence probably to act on something and the outcome was probably hard but that's 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 why they you know bring on researchers to help them in those. Well, and, and you're in a unique position as a consultant coming in too, where they're not necessarily saying, is the problem with our team? You're saying, they're asking you a different question. You're saying actually the problem with your team, but that's harder to do when you're in-house, I imagine. Yeah. I'm in a very weird situation because 
again, I'm coming in as a consultant, but and I, I made make good money uh, from my consulting job, but my real income uh, that pays for my mortgage is from my university, my my professoring job. So, so sometimes you know, obviously, tell people that okay, you know, go fire some people. Like they may cancel that contract with you. Like okay, let's go find a nicer consultant. But again, I'm. I'm in a situation that I'm not relying on a consulting money. So I can be very uh, both kind of a both flexible, but also, you know, tell my opinion without fearing too much of, you know, losing the client or something like that, because my mortgage is paid from a different <laughs> kind of. All right. So that gets into, I mean, motivations and biases. You can't get yeah, exactly. away from Exactly. Yeah. You have those motivation and biases yourself right. you know, when you go into the project. Right. So. And I, I'm sure that cuts both ways, right? You could make an argument. If you got to like work with these people six months exactly. from now, you're going to, you know, may you, I'm, that I may have some benefits too. Yeah. hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. So this gets me to like, we, we wanted to talk about, there's all these different ways in which you can do research, but you want to plan from the beginning, right? You're not going to do research that's not set up to be timely in terms of the insights you're going to fight, right? So, so you've done this research, um, which could be primary, secondary, you know, whatever. Um, and you've uh, found these insights that are, you know, set up to, to yield good decisions. Um, in terms of handing them off, and in terms of seeing them through to action, in terms of following up on once there's action or hasn't been action, um, how do you see success there? And I imagine that does vary whether you're in-house or, or not in-house, what that might look like. Yeah. Yeah. So that that that, that definitely varies uh, in terms of, in my point perspective, in terms of my engagement with the, with the company, sometimes I'm kind of working with them long-term uh, and I can kind of uh, try to like support as we go forward. Sometimes my engagement is, you know, come do this, let us know what you think, and then, uh, you know, see you later. <laughs> so again, that kind of depends. Um, and again, maybe I maybe say an interesting uh, a story. So I did one project, uh, so as a, like from my university job, that I thought, with permission from the clients, I thought I can look at some form of a long-term study uh, from the project that I worked on like five years ago, and look how those projects are doing now in the market, and then do some sort of analysis to see if my report five years ago, uh, you know, highlighted the comments or the issues that you know users may actually you know bring up when the product is live. Again, in gaming world, is a bit different because once the product is launched, like you know, there might be the live of it might be a few years. Uh, so that was my intention. So I kind of got permission from the companies that I worked with. I looked at the research report that I wrote and I looked at the reviewers' feedback on the product. Uh, in games, there is a, a website called uh, Metacritic uh, that is a place for uh, both players and professionals to write feedback. So I thought, I'm going to compare what the community says about this game based on what my research report uh, highlighted. And that, that I wanted to see if there is any relationship between uh, the stuff that we found and the stuff that players later on commented on or, or professionals later on commented on. And that was that was a really, I think, unique study because the challenge in academic work, usually we are very designing very short studies, like, okay, let's do this summer and then publish it. So this was kind of a weird that it took like four or five years to complete from the beginning to end. Uh, but it was uh, super interesting um, in terms of what I could identify based on a research method. 
that we used and what player commented. Uh, there were like a couple of uh, interesting, uh, like for example, I ran a usability, like a local usability test on a game, and my report was this game is really good, you're going to be successful. I mean, with detail, obviously, but it was a positive report. And then players commented a lot on network issue over, over the internet. Uh, so that was something that I didn't focus in uh, because it was a local test. And the, the, so there were a disconnect, something that I couldn't identify. And there were also loads of stuff that I had, like I, my report identified and also players like either commented on it positively or, or, or negatively. So that was kind of cool in terms of seeing that life of the project and the, what, what users commented on. But in terms of the the time to implement those, that's uh, that I guess, as I said, it's kind of varied between my, based on my involvement with the company. Yeah, uh, cool. So I think one thing we didn't talk about yet was just, um, there's always a quality, quantity, velocity, like these trade-offs between these things. And so, you know, we talked a little bit about just like, when do you kind of call it and ship some insights versus do more research, research begets more research. But, you know, are you looking for, um, when you look back on the research you're doing, like how many decisions got made? Like, is there a quantity or velocity component to that, that you factor into kind of the success of your research? I would say, I think, yes. So for me, I guess similar as anyone else, I guess, like there are lots of reflection uh, that especially coming in with like a kind of a consulting uh, hat on. So how could I do better? How could I support my clients better? Uh, how, how would I change my approach to be more effective uh, in, in, in what I do? Uh, and then trying to find that, uh, I guess, like a, a spot that I could be useful and I could provide value and it kind of balances with my life uh, and, and other things that I want to do with it. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's, that's usually something that's going, in, uh, going on in my mind. Uh, and as part of that was something like, for example, do I want to uh, stay with a client for like a really long time? Uh, or do I want to like do one project and then find another client uh, or, or move on? So, and, and what, what basically worked best for, for the situation that, uh, that, that I am in? Um, so I'm, I'm trying to figure that out, to be honest, I'm kind of, uh, moving, moving in between. I have like both type of clients that like I worked with for two years, like almost like an internal user researcher on their team, uh, or, or, or type of client that, you know, I take a call once or twice a month and then just answer a question and, and, and then move on. Uh, and b based on that, obviously my, my approach, uh, is, is, is very different when, when depending on the type of in engagement, uh, engagement we have, uh, I guess may, maybe the may, the usual metrics uh, quite similar with other things. So looking at, you know, if the retention <laughs> the retention of them if they're coming back, uh, and then but most importantly, if I see any changes in the product that we are working, uh, and uh, any improvement that I can link back to the research that 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 we did. Yeah, yeah. All right, I've got one more really important question for you, which is um, why does my husband love the new Zelda game so much? I've heard it's awesome. I haven't played it. It sounds cool. It's actually quite an interesting question, and I give you some hints. Maybe you can explore that, uh, explore that more on your <laughs> <laughs> on my own time. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing that we we know uh, is that all of us we have a different motivation for doing for for our daily life. Uh, that's our personality, basically. So you may be uh, you may be motivated to get the best job at work, have the highest salary. Uh, you may be motivated to, uh, I don't know, 
go to work because you just like spending time with people. You don't care about like, you know, the salary uh, or you may just feel because you, your boss is very nice and you, you may do that. And or I don't know, like you may just like the product that you're working on. So we have different motivation and that kind of basically uh, impact our behavior uh, in, 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 our, in our daily life. So same motivation gonna translate when we are playing games. So if you are that type that you wanted to be the best, if the game give you opportunity to build that in the game, like get the highest score, I don't know, kill all the enemies, then, then you're gonna enjoy that. If you are the type that you just want socializing and the game would give you an opportunity to talk to maybe to other player or maybe use that to like use the what's happening in the game to socialize with your colleague at work, then you're gonna be playing that game. So, uh, so what I would say, uh, maybe look at, uh, like think about your husband's behavior. And I bet uh, the stuff that motivates him, uh, there are gonna probably be some similarities yeah, in the new game, and that's where that's why he gets, uh, you know, uh, kind of he gets enjoyment from from this game. So, what motivates us uh, in games is the same as what motivates us in life. We don't uh, become some alter ego version of ourselves. Is that? I mean, basically, what motivates us in life impacts our daily behavior, and those things won't change even if you are at work or if you are at home. If you are at if you are playing the game, usually your motivation kind of stays the same. Uh, your behavior might change because of different contexts. And I don't know if I, if we have time, but I have a quick story maybe to tell you. But we were running some studies. It was a husband and wife uh, situation actually. So we expected we we looked at participants' motivation and we were linking it to their behavior in the game. So again, the motivation that I described, the one who wants to win all the time, we call them killer motivation. So they want to be the best. So the, the husband identified through our questionnaire that he has a killer motivation per, like personality. The wife was more like a socializing uh, kind of type. So they were playing and we were recording their physiological measure as well as their, their verbal comment. And as a killer, we expected loads of what we call trash talk. So they would be say, "Hey, I'm winning! Ha! Oh, I'm I'm better than you." Uh, but the but the the husband didn't perform or didn't show any of those behaviors. So he was completely quiet as he was playing the game. It was a competitive game between the two, but his body was reacting like crazy. Like we were looking at their uh, what we call GSR. So that shows the level of arousal, also linked to anxiety or, or basically enjoyment or frustration. So we could see loads of changes in his in his body, but completely quiet, no behavior. So in the post-session interview, I asked him, I was like, you know, look at your body reaction, look at your behavior that you show, completely quiet. Why is that? And he was like, obviously I was so happy that I was winning, but I didn't want to upset my wife. So I was completely quiet, but my body was still reacting to all those points that got him ahead of the in the game and eventually won the game. So, so I think that that's very interesting. And the difference between what we show and what we really feel i think that's really cool yeah a lot, a lot of stuff in there yeah totally cool uh, well this has been really interesting and educational and got to talk about games but also just generally how to make your research impactful so lots of good stuff in here for everybody awesome thanks again for having me i also really enjoyed this discussion yes yeah, is great thanks for joining us cool hey there it's me aaron and me jh we are the hosts of Awkward Silences, and today we would love to hear from you, our listeners. So we're running a quick survey to find out what you like about the show, which episodes you like best, which subjects you'd like to hear more about, which stuff you're sick of, 
and more just about you, the fans that have kept us on the air for the past four years. Filling out the survey is just going to take you a couple of minutes. And despite what we say about surveys almost always sucking, this one's going to be fantastic. So userinterviews.com slash awkward survey. And thanks so much for doing that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Awkward Silences, brought to you by User Interviews. Theme music by Fragile Gang. <laughs>